Hi, and welcome to episode 21 of Walk to Work. So, uh, last episode um, was the first half of a recording where I was talking um, about the history of European uh, traditional dance. Um, and this is kind of just my introduction to the, the second half of that recording. Uh, so we traced um, the, the evolution uh, as far as we know, which is very little of um, folk dance uh, in Europe and especially in France because that's what I know most about even though uh, I know relatively little what there is to know uh, and what there is to know is not that great. Um, and we've got to kind of the tail end of the Industrial Revolution uh, leading into World War One, uh, and what's marked about this is uh, greater migration uh, towards cities uh, and uh, people wanting to feeling to some extent feeling a kind of shame uh, of a rural uh, society um, because from the bourgeois point of view they're uncivilized and no one wants to bring up their kids uncivilized um, and so there's kind of a, a double pressure uh, a pressure from within to teach your kids um, uh, the, 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 the bourgeois ways uh, to send them off to school uh, to give them uh, a better start in life uh, and the pressure from the uh, other side of uh, bourgeois culture having this imperialist, colonialist view uh, of um, rural society that it is uncivilized and needs uh, bringing into civilization kicking and screaming if need be. So yeah, World War One, uh, especially with the death of many people, uh, particularly uh, uh, in, in, in France and Germany, uh, is kind of uh, the end uh, of this uh, rural civilization and everything that happens uh, is not is substitution rather than evolution. Tractors uh, replace uh, finish replacing horses. Um, um, everyday city clothes replace um, what we call, I guess, traditional dress or national dress, which is a kind of weird term for it. Um, and uh, we have also the beginning of revivalism. So that's already happened earlier with people sort of getting nostalgic for the good old days uh, and they start uh, redoing uh, the practices in a completely new context, in a context that's saying we are proud of our roots, uh, we're proud of our origins, we are continuing the traditions of our ancestors. Uh, and the really interesting thing about this, and again it's one of the reasons I have this instinctive dislike of bourgeois influence, is that under bourgeois influence uh, the kind of second, third generation people, um, I mean, they, I don't think that they, um, they, they basically invent a lot of things. And so some of it is innovation and some of it is evolution, but most of it is pure uh, invention. Where instead of going to their pet, there's so many examples where people are interested in the old uh, ways, but instead of going to their parents and saying, hey, what are the old ways? Uh, they just take the little bits that they remember and they invent other bits. And then because it's the old ways and the whole goal is to preserve them and showcase them, uh, they start getting very dogmatic um, about things that have no root and then they transmit them with dogmatism and then people they transmit to in turn are sort of so proud of transmitting dogma. Uh, and yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, and then we go into uh, 
sort of uh, just past World War II, uh, I believe, is when people first actually start having kind of uh, a process of saying, hey, let's actually go and see what people are actually still doing uh, in rural areas. Uh, and in France, at any rate, what people were still doing uh, was kind of very much... Uh, in secret, quite a bit of shame, like they weren't going to tell an educated outsider, oh yes, we still uh, sing and dance, uh, not until they had a, a lot of trust. Uh, and then in the 70s you have the folk revival, or the folk revolution, uh, and uh, that's about kind of anti-capitalism and democracy and giving art back to the people. And so you're like, oh, okay, what do the people do as art? Um, and kind of having your own personal artistic uh, return to origins, um, non-capitalist, non-warmongering uh, practice is more important than actually respecting uh, practices. But people go out in the countryside and like, hey, where are the fiddle players? What are the fiddle players playing out here? Uh, and we have, I mean, so many amazing recordings and, and so many amazing practices that continue uh, from that. But it's, it's relatively recent. Uh, and it's a slightly different story uh, in, um, in different parts of Europe, but the, the general story is mostly the same, um, that, that, um, that the people doing the practice now are not the same kind of people who are doing the practice back then. Uh, people are doing it as a hobby, they're doing it uh, as generally quite well-educated people, uh, they're doing it um, with uh, their preconceived notions of what traditional music should be about um, uh, and that it should have certain qualities and shouldn't have certain qualities and that there are certain things that you are allowed to add to modernize it and other things that you aren't allowed to add to modernize it uh, and again there's a lot of shoulding um, and on a, uh, in many cases, a lot of understanding of what makes uh, folk dances and folk music really interesting. But in other cases, a lot of, let's make it more interesting. Um, and so this happens less then, but what happened a lot before and still happens a bit is kind of the uh, trying to insert spiritual meaning to things that don't actually have spiritual meaning. So this is some kind of sex initiation rite. Um, and... Uh, that's maybe more sort of uh, 1920s and 30s uh, dogma, uh, but uh, there's a dance uh, in France called Maréchine, which I always learn as you start in a circle going backward. Uh, and apparently you start in a circle going forward like you start every circle dance that goes in and out uh, in France that we know of. Uh, but this one uh, got changed to going backward so that the end part of it could look like kind of everyone coming together to adore the sun. Uh, is what I've been, uh, what I recently learned, uh, and we get super dogmatic about this starting backwards on a dance that actually starts going forward, and on which we wanted to project some kind of pagan uh, sun worship uh, that just didn't exist. Um, so yeah, uh, and now we have, uh, at least in France and throughout Europe, we have Balfolk, which is kind of mixing together all the dances and musics from various time periods. Um, from various levels of society, uh, of various styles, and people really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Um, but there's also a sense that people attribute meaning of, oh yes, we're continuing the ancient ways and evolving them, and we're not doing either of those two things. Um, the ancient ways kind of are no more. And the extent to which they are is in, again, 
uh, families and rural communities and people who have been to university have learnt these or who whose parents went to university and learnt their dances in their 30s and then brought their kids uh, to festivals and the kids kind of grew up learning them. So to some extent the kids sort of are native speakers of some kind of dance but they're not native speakers of the original dance. Um, so some important things from my perspective. One is really the colonialist aspect. Um, we kind of, you think of uh, the lower decks of Titanic, uh, dances are sort of jolly and merry and, uh, and maybe they are sometimes, but uh, a lot of people uh, report that dancing is a really serious business, is really solemn. Uh, you're telling this story that has a kind of symbolic importance to the community and you're telling this story through movement and song. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a serious matter. It's not a uh, let's relax after work matter because you don't have work to relax after. You don't have a job. Um, again, yes, uh, imposing some kind of symbolic, shamanic, pagan meaning on dance where it has none. Or saying that through the dances people symbolize their relationship to each other. They don't. Uh, through the dances people enact uh, their relationship to each other, at least in European dance. European dance mostly does not symbolize. There are a few exceptions. Uh, there are a few magic dances that have some kind of magic or ritual or festival meaning, but mostly they, they, they don't. Um, the, the dances are sort of rough and simple and uncouth. They're, they're not. They're super complex, super interesting, super delicate. Um, they're, they're, they're really the remnant of uh, uh, an ancient civilization. Uh, if you'll allow me to project a little bit and be all like, ancient thingy thing. Um, but they're, 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 um, they're incredibly complex and any uh, and pretty much no one can do them anymore, even as far as we know. Uh, and any attempt to kind of improve on them uh, is such an extreme amount of hubris uh, because uh, like the, 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 mostly we can't even do them, so how can we pretend to improve on them? Um, that they need to be fixed or corrected. So people who went and listened to music, uh, to old guys playing fiddles, they figured, oh, these old guys, they're, they're old, they haven't played the fiddle in a while, it, they're playing out of tune. They're not playing out of tune, they're playing with very deliberate uh, scales, of very deliberate rhythms, uh, and any attempt to shoehorn those into our preconceived notions is losing what's special and interesting uh, about them. Um, yeah, and the process is that the later uh, civilization, in scare quotes, arrived in an area, the more likely we are to have still traces of the original dances, musics, practices. Uh, and the more likely we are that those areas are still impoverished uh, today. So there's kind of a tension in that the dances that we know the best um, sort of come from the people who uh, we've despised uh, the most as dominant society uh, and are still looked down on, like in France, uh, people in Paris think that they're the bee's knees and that everyone else in France are provincial. Um, uh, and uh, the, 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 the economic uh, disparity is still there even today, uh, even as the people in the area still know, know nothing about the dances that their grandparents and great-grandparents did, uh, but the, the results of economic oppression uh, are still very uh, visible. Um, the whole notion of tradition, uh, 
For one, we don't know really what it is. Like we think of it as an object that you keep and preserve for future generations. That's, that's not uh, a useful uh, way of thinking of tradition. At best, it's a community of practices that exist within a certain um, um, uh, part of society. Um, and it gets not so much handed down as it gets shared. Um, and uh, without having people uh, sharing and living and experiencing and giving meaning to a thing, uh, it's going to, um, it's, it, it doesn't exist. And then this giving meaning is really important in that the meaning that a dance had to a peasant uh, in uh, mid-19th century is necessarily going to be different from the meaning uh, of a, a farmer who maybe is no less impoverished and maybe lives on exactly the same uh, land a uh, hundred years later, um, but just doesn't live in the same kind of society anymore, lives in globalized society um, to a much stronger uh, extent. Um, Um, we think often of kind of this idea of evolution and everything that has always evolved and we have to bring it into the 20th century uh, or the 21st century and I think that a lot of people are sort of like this, this music that we know what would the 21st century equivalent to this music be and they do it with like tremendous amount of respect uh, for um, the, the old recordings we have and uh, for realizing just how different it is from the old practices and for knowing that what they do has to carry something forward uh, and that any idea that they're doing something that's an improvement or an evolution uh, you have to get that idea out of your head because it's not a productive one and the, the thing that we don't know really is uh, how dances did evolve in rural society and they probably evolved very differently and under different conditions and different constraints um, just because the, the reasons that people did things and the way that people did things uh, was, is very different. Um, that uh, we, so we, we show often dances on stage uh, and you have that a lot uh, for like Eastern European dances and uh, so you have someone who dresses up in traditional garb or national dress or whatever they call it uh, and they show their musics and instruments and language and singing and dancing uh, and the prettier and quainter it looks, the less likely it is to have anything to do with what was originally practiced. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we shouldn't let, allow it to give us an illusion that we have any great knowledge of um, uh, traditional European dance. Um, and yeah, this idea that revivalism is some kind of continuation, it's not. It's a completely different thing. Uh, and so the shoulds of it are completely different than we think they should be. Uh, we think that they, we should carry on this uh, traditional practice, uh, which sure, we should definitely find ways to relate to each other as communities uh, in an increasingly globalized society. Um, we should find ways of um, interacting as people uh, in good ways, in meaningful ways to us. Um, and we should have uh, respect for the dances and where they come from um, and not culturally appropriate um, uh, dances just because the people who originally practiced them uh, have basically been killed out. Um, but then again, we, it means finding uh, a real meaning of respect uh, where respect isn't just continuing dogma.
um, and uh, limiting ourselves in our own uh, expression and in our own meaning making for the dance um, because there's no way that we can give meaning to dances in the way that someone from rural civilization in the mid-19th century gave meaning to their dances because we're not the same people and we don't give meaning to our lives in the same way. Uh, yeah. So that, that's a kind of important and really big topic, <laughs> as you can see from this podcast going on really long. Um, last two things is, um, oh yeah, partner dance, partner dance as a European dance. Partner dance as a European dance has existed for 150, 180 years now, and that's it. Partner dance is not an inherently European thing, um, because uh, during that period uh, there's colonialism, there's, move, uh, there's uh, mobility, and so it means that... Um, Afro-descendant people, people in Latin America have been practicing partner dance uh, and people in North America have been practicing partner dance for almost as long as Europeans have. And so it's definitely a European influence but it's all the more so a, a bourgeois influence in the same way that partner dance is a bourgeois influence on um, rural uh, folk dance in Europe. Uh, and so that gets, my ha gets me up a little bit because we're like, yes, um, uh, Lindy Hop is uh, the mixture of owes a lot to European tradition, and it it it, it kind of doesn't. Uh, it, I mean, it does because that's literally where partner dancing came from, uh, but it's not where our concepts of partner dancing came from. It's not as if we have this long tradition of partner dancing. Uh, although uh, in bourgeois classes we do have uh, dancing as uh, uh, partners in kind of the Jane Austen dancing. But this is still not uh, partner dancing with um, close embrace or ballroom embrace uh, and kind of lead follow. And uh, same thing, like lead follow is a really recent innovation. Um, and the last thing is that uh, dancing really uh, reflects society. And so we have this tension in any dance that we do between for our practice to be meaningful, it has to reflect us and our society and maybe the society we want to create. Uh, but we also have to respect the inherent meaning that dance has had. Um, and on the one hand, we need to not project meaning where there is none. Um, like, uh, why did women not do the crazy steps that men did when instruments came outside the circle? Uh, is it because they were oppressed and forbidden? Maybe. Is it because they chose not to? Certainly. Uh, but the, the, the re one of the reasons that was told uh, for why they choose not to is because they consider the men to be the frivolous ones, uh, the people who go out and get drunk, uh, the ones who go out and make war. Um, in traditional society, when women start to uh, speak, uh, everyone shuts up and listens. And so this is not our bourgeois sexist society, this is a different kind of patriarchy, if it is a patriarchy. Um, and so women don't do the weird and silly innovative crazy steps because uh, they're the the wise ones um, at least that's also that's maybe a projection as well but that's just as valid a story as they don't do it because they weren't allowed to do it oh but now it's the 21st century so women are allowed to do whatever they want um, uh, uh, women believed in themselves as being the serious austere ones uh, who needed to maintain civilization uh, and not just do whatever because it took their fancy, because dancing is a serious business. Uh, and we see that in gender relationships, gender relations, we see that in uh, inclusivity, 
Uh, we see that in um, the roles that are given, how we project meaning onto dance roles, um, and how we project meaning onto uh, what it means to go dancing. Like, yeah, uh, also this idea that, oh, dancing has always been this thing where you go to meet, where young men go to meet young women. Eh, not entirely true. I mean, yes, gatherings are a place that you go to meet people, uh, but you didn't, in rural society, go to a dance um, because it wasn't a dance. It was um, a, a community activity, and during community activity, dancing happens. Uh, yeah, that was quite a rant and quite long. Uh, I think I'm done for today. Um, I'm not sure if any of this made any sense. Oh my goodness, 40 minutes and counting. Um, let me know uh, if you find anything of use in, in this and if you have any questions and if you feel like I... Uh, I think I made... If I talked to 40 minutes non-stop, I must have said a bunch of things that is plainly untrue and invented stories that exist only in my head. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, let me know if you have any corrections. Um, and let me know if it uh, kind of influences or questions uh, your practices. Uh, I'll see you next time. Till then, take care.